Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi-Williams. The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President. Jonathan Kraft, Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we speak with the youngest team owner in IndyCar Racing. He's 23, and his 19 year old driver already has a win under his helmet. He's George Steinbrenner, the grandson of the legendary New York Yankees owner. And he owns Harding Steinbrenner Racing. That's coming up in a bit. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week, beginning with the new revelations concerning the latest Triple Crown winner, Justify. Yeah, can we justify uh, putting this down in the records book as a Triple Crown winner? Apparently, <laughs> Justify failed a drug test shortly before the Kentucky Derby, which, of course, is the first leg of the Triple Crown. When he won Santa Anita, the race that got him into the into the Kentucky Derby. Into the Kentucky Derby. And the way Joe Drape at the New York Times paints this, it seems all the usual procedures that are in place and disclosures that are usually made with this just didn't happen. It, it certainly makes it seem as if the California board was not all that high on this news getting out because if they followed letter of the law, according to Joe anyway, this horse should not have been in the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, and, and for folks who might be confused, because I was originally, this is not the horse that broke the 30-plus year right. Triple Crown streak. This is the this horse is that, that, that yeah. last year won the Triple Crown again, which a lot of people said was almost a disservice to horse racing in that you know it made it sound like Triple Crown racers, winners could happen every year, every two years. Uh, th- as you said, Scott, the group here that I think has a lot to answer for, the California Horse Racing Board, Justify, trained by Bob Baffert, legendary trainer, at least from the Times reporting, does not seem to be any direct evidence that Bob Baffert went out of his way to kind of suppress... We don't know. Bob uh, Baffert did not speak to the this. Times. He didn't speak to the Times. Uh, but 
there's so many conflicts of interest. This this is the paragraph that, that struck me. Uh, the chairman of the California Horse Racing Board, yeah. Chuck Winner, yeah. owns an interest in horses trained by Baffert. Baffert yeah. Two other board members employ trainers and jockeys that they also regulate. Yeah. Um, Horse racing is its own crazy insular world, but that seems like a kind of conflict of interest that you don't want. Your board members also having business interests with the people that they regulate. And Barr, you know horse racing. Where's the real money? You get it when you get the stud fees. It's mm-hmm. the breeding rights. And, and, and the breeding rights for Justify were sold for $60 million. Uh, moving right along, let's talk about the NFL. Oh, $3 million. We're going to put it in the kitty to find a better helmet. Yeah, and the NFL has funded innovation challenges before this one though really focuses on the design of a helmet from start to finish they want a new prototype helmet uh and they think the money helps here in that they've been told the feedback to the nfl is that there are designers out there uh new things like 3d printing so they have whiteboard material where people want to try things but they just don't have the money to do it. It's, it. To get it from the design phase or the concept phase to reality is expensive. So the NFL is putting up $2 million in capital plus a million dollars to the winner or winners. They'll share the prize, whoever comes up with any helmet that, according to their testing, is significantly better than what's in use today. I'm curious to see what ends up being offered here, because I would imagine there's going to be some pretty innovative yeah. things, including potentially soft helmets. I mean, there's there's a contingent of people who yeah, there really, are some who have softer really, outer shells. Really yeah. believe that that going the softer route, or or maybe even no helmet like rugby, is is the safest way to to, to move football into into the next 20, 30 years. Um, again, worth mentioning, you know, helmets don't prevent concussions. The, the the point of helmets typically is to help you know skull fractures and things like that. But you know, good good on the NFL to to, to recognize that. The that question, though, if they you can need reduce, more if you can reduce what they what they have now is a whole bunch of data that shows how players they receive the concussions, what the impact was, what the angle was, and I think of most interest to you and me, Evan, yeah, was the fact that different positions have higher incidences with different places on the helmet and different rotational. So they now have that data. And the NFL told me they're moving toward position-specific helmets. So a linebacker might have a different helmet than a quarterback or a cornerback or an offensive line. Makes total sense. Yeah. And finally, for a few minutes, we need to talk about the latest development in the federal antitrust lawsuit against U.S. soccer. Yeah, so Relevant, which is a promotion company that is owned by Stephen Ross, who owns the the Miami Dolphins, uh, escalated its you know legal battle against U.S. soccer this this week. It's kind of confusing, but the basic nuts and bolts. Relevant has tried a few different times to bring exhibitions into the U.S. that were played by two foreign teams. They they did it with two Ecuadorian teams in January. They tried to do it with two La Liga, La Liga teams, teams, including that's, Barcelona. Yeah, that's the one that got Hello, the attention. Leo Messi. Um, They've been kind of stymied, or so they claim, stymied by U.S. soccer. And they are now suing, saying that U.S. soccer kind of conspiring and is illegally, you know, controlling how it allows games to be played on U.S. Because U.S. soccer has its own marketing arm. Some. Soccer United marketing. They, too, put on exhibitions. Uh, Perhaps they don't want competition from anybody else seeking to bring the biggest clubs over. The fact that FIFA... And U.S. soccer have a relationship, and then there's this marketing arm of U.S. soccer. 
that's pretty much what Relevant is saying. Yeah, this is an unfair is, practice. I feel like the theme here is conflicts of interest. But, you know, U.S. soccer has a, a web of business relationships and conflicts of interest that involve Major League Soccer as well uh, that most countries don't have. And it's the reason why you see a lot of these lawsuits against both MLS and U.S. soccer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Now let's get to this week's interview with the youngest team owner in IndyCar racing. He's 23, and his 19-year-old driver already has a win under his helmet. He's George Steinbrenner, the grandson of the legendary New York Yankees owner, and he owns Harding Steinbrenner Racing. This guy's fascinating. He is fascinating, and I like the way he talks about starting at the bottom. You know, sort of attached himself as an intern, and I did whatever it took. He he understands that I know the name is Steinbrenner, but that doesn't mean you walk in as the CEO. So he, you know, swept the swept the garage, all those kind of things that uh, you would think lend him to better understand the business as a whole. Yeah, and he certainly also understands the the pressure of of winning something that his grandfather and now his father, Hank Steinbrenner, uh, who's running the Yankees, you know, that that is a family that has had a lot of success and has a lot of expectation, and I think he feels that as well. George, thanks for joining us, and congratulations, because you guys had a win earlier this year. We did. We did the second race of the year this year. We, uh, in down in Austin, Texas, Circuit of the Americas, we we were able to start fourth and, and, and finish first, which... You know, some things had to happen. Some some luck had to fall our way, but that's how you win in a series of 22 really competitive cars. Now, your driver is Colton Herta, and he's the son of Brian Herta. Uh, can you tell us uh, the relationship that you guys? Oh, this is this is not TV, but I gotta say, if if George stood next to Colton, I think we have a boy band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, what would the name of your boy band be? Oh God! What, Rolling what Thunder. I don't. I don't know. See, <laughs> thank you, Scott. Man, it's what? Like, I'm just. Hey, well, well yes, he's uh, he's a handsome young man. I told George we like to have fun on this. Uh, show. Yeah, he didn't believe me, yeah, but now he knows. That, now he knows I'm being truthful. Uh, anywho, well, but uh, it, it, just my way of saying, Hurt is what? 19 years old? Yeah, 19. Yeah. You're 23. 23. Yeah. 23. That's pretty. That's, accom- that's pretty accomplished. At this stage of pro sports. You know what's sad? If you added both of those ages together, it's still we're not far away from age. bar. Far, far, far away. away. From bar. <laughs> oh man. What was your what was your question again, Bob? Yes. <laughs> I was asking your relationship between Colton and yourself. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Uh so so I met first met Colton in 2012. It was his first year in in cars. I thought uh, you were going to say elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he would have been in he would have been middle school. Um <laughs> It was, um, yeah, it was his first year in physical cars. He'd done karting for seven, about seven years before that. And uh, it was out in Lime Rock Park, which is a small track out in Connecticut. And um, it was uh, sort of a on-the-cuff thing. Uh, so my stepfather has known Brian Herta for years. They used to race each other when they were kids, and then they'd known each other for 30 years since and are now business partners. And so... Uh, he was like, hey, you want to go see – I'd known Brian for a couple of years before that. Hey, you want to go see Brian's son race? Um, Any time I can see new cars on a new track, I'm down. I'm, I'm ready. Now, the cars is one of – I mean, Autosport, you've loved it for a long time. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, yeah. So for me, it was it was a cool experience because I, I was so used to, you know, 
IndyCar and sports cars. That's about all I'd really experienced before that. So I see little open wheel cars about the size of you know a small table <laughs> going around a track. It, it's uh, it was something I wanted to do, and and to meet Colton, of course, because again I'd known Brian for years, and uh, yeah, we kind of just hit it off instantly. I was sixteen, he was twelve, and so we we kind of just were you know stupid kids. At some point at the end of the weekend, we kind of both looked at each other and said, you know what, it'd be cool if we did something in this realm together one day. And now, who advises you? You're 16, he's 12. The conversation of, hey, let's do something, I get it. But then who do you turn to and say, all right, what do I do? How do I do? Because obviously you have the lineage. Uh, it was I, – I mostly stuck to – I mean my stepfather had worked in racing for – 30 some odd years and and was close with Brian so we they kind of over time sort of was were our guides in sort of how to approach it obviously Colton going off racing different junior formulas as they're called minor league racing and then um, myself you know staying in school (laughs) at least as long as I could and then they kind of couldn't tear me away from the racetrack unfortunately and then uh, we kept talking about it we kept he moved over to Europe to run single seaters and we kept you know talking then you know it would be really cool if you know one of these days our, our crazy vision we had when we were stupid kids came true and then uh, he wanted to come back to the u.s he wanted to race indy cars he was on the formula one route and uh i was fresh out of a semester of college um working for brian herda's rallycross team in indiana as i said they couldn't tear me away from the track i ended <laughs> up moving up to indiana to work in it and so um, he wanted to race in Indy Lights, which is AAA baseball equivalent. I essentially said, all right, let's do it. How much did you know about the business of auto racing? Because it's not easy. I mean, it costs a lot to run these teams. It does. Uh, I had sort of shadowed for many years, obviously working for him, but then years before going to half a dozen races a year, I would kind of shadow his dad, Brian, because he had owned a one-car team in IndyCar for years before eventually joining up with Andretti and in the nine now the 98 car marco andretti's car it was sort of like a, i just shadowed him you know i was an intern on the rallycross team i did like the i was a receptionist ice filler cooler filler <laughs> stuff like that carried the driver's helmet around hey people might laugh that's the way you learn oh yeah you gotta do and, it all. And, and, and it it helped so much it, it was about as valuable of a year that's of right. experience as i could get in the sport but i i had more access i guess than than most people in that position would have to brian who was running the show i kind of stuck to his hip when he was around and learned as much as I could from him. And I still kind of do, even though we're technically on different teams. I kind of you know, seek him out for advice every time I, I get the opportunity. So when it becomes time to, to, to launch you know, your own team, how much capital do you need? What, what does it take to, to, to start your own IndyCar racing team? So um, I'd say the, the budget I would put maybe at about six to seven million dollars per, per car or per car okay yeah um obviously you generally want to start with a one car effort <laughs> um, keep it simple for yourself so about 98 percent of our revenue unless you go out and win the nd 500 is sponsorship dollars commercial sure. sponsorships so raising as much of that as you can before you start is very important and obviously the way we went about it is we partnered with an existing team in harding racing who had been around for a year he's a Asphalt. He owns an asphalt company in Indiana. Hmm. So uh, he had already built the infrastructure, uh, and we sort of brought our commercial partners along and said, 
what's merge. And and it, it's a way to kind of lessen the blow of trying to start your own IndyCar team. Sure. When you're able to sort of join forces with an existing team and, and get your floaties on, mm. I guess. Yeah, and you are, I mean, you're the youngest IndyCar owner in the circuit right now. Um, and Michael, forgive me, I think of racing as kind of an old man's sport. Is there things that you see? And Michael drags that demo up. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, do you, are there things that you see about, you know, the business that, you know, from a young man's perspective, whether it's social media or digital stream, I don't know. Are there, are there things that you see because of your youth that you think are, are, are things that can be revolutionized or changed about the racing world? You'll find there's a lot of people in my age demographic who are really into cars Mm -hmm. uh racing specifically uh not as much but uh, a lot of that has to do with video games sure uh project cars gran turismo uh forza stuff like that 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 sort of bring people into car racing maybe not a specific genre of car racing like indycar formula one nascar we've heard this before by the way mls is looking to reach young kids through the fifa game that's how they learn they want their stadium their players right so it's not just i mean this is definitely a way to reach a generation oh yeah and and it's you know obviously i grew up with baseball and and then racing a little later so uh but but for sports like football or american football (laughs) it was video games that kind of that's how i learned the sport learned the teams learned the locations learn the players so it, it's very much a thing for my generation that if you play the game you like the game you start playing it more you start getting interested in the things that are related to the game and and we found that with motor racing games it, it just the thing is how do we get those individuals and translate them directly into specifically indycar fans mm-hmm. instead of just a broad range of of motorsport we're talking to George Steinbrenner. He's co-owner of Harding Steinbrenner Racing. And I want to talk more about the video games. My 14-year-old son just started high school. And you know, and we're going through the conversation. How are things in high school? Blah, 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 blah. And he said, oh, yeah. Uh, and they also have uh, an eSports uh, challenge for us to make the eSports team uh, playing Forza. And I said, what? <laughs> and, and, of course, I perked up after that. What are you doing up there? Homework, Dad. Yeah. Drive it, son. Drive it. That is what you said, and it's very true, is that that's how people get into the sport, how people learn the sport. Uh, maybe video games is going to be the way uh, to turn the old man sport into a young man. But what's sport. the conversion rate? Have you seen the video game player become an indie fan? Have you? Can you measure that? I haven't seen those metrics. I don't think we really have them. Um, you know that the the issue is, and it and it's been an issue for a while, or, or a very popular conversation within the the fan base is uh, a standalone video game for IndyCar. Um, it has there hasn't been one since I think two. 2005 was the last time that IndyCar had a standalone video game. And so uh, <clears throat> the conversation is is that specifically. And it, we've seen it with Formula One. Um, they've grown an American fan base, and they have at least partially the F1 video games to, to thank for it. I and know. That, that's Chase Carey doing it, trying to sort of technologize the the sport, bring it to the digital format, bring it to the way people watch today, phones, iPads, etc. Right. And, and it's... It, it, that's how I first got into Formula One. I, I'd grown up an IndyCar fan, American motorsports primarily, and I played the video game, and that's how I learned the drivers, the teams, the circuits. And it's the same way. I, I know other. I I don't have the specific data, but I have personal anecdotal data of of several friends of mine who 
started by playing Forza or Gran Turismo, and then they say, oh, this this game looks cool, F1, I don't know much about it, blah, blah, blah. and then they play it, and now they know all the teams, they know all the drivers, they know all the circuits, mm. and, and it, it's, it, the knowledge of what it is, it comes first, because if someone... If you talk to someone and say, hey, I'm in racing, oh, like NASCAR? That's usually what I get. And <laughs> right. No, IndyCar. If you, I usually use, you know, the Indy 500. Most people do, and that's the way to get in. But uh, the, the more people know who Joseph Newgarden or Alexander Rossi or Scott Dixon are or know who Roger Penske or Chip Ganassi or Michael Andretti are, the easier it is for them to follow the sport or want to watch it or want to get involved because it all starts with knowledge of the sport if you just turn it on. Uh, on the TV randomly and you don't know what the hell's going on, it's uh, it's going to be difficult for them to get into it. Totally. Yeah, and, and you mentioned at the start you guys won your first race in Austin earlier this year. For a, a young team, newish team, what does your first win mean financially? Is your phone ringing off the hook immediately? Do, do your sponsorships change immediately? Kind of what does that mean from a business standpoint just to have that victory in your pocket? Remember when we had Scott Dixon on? I mean, he really <laughs> talked about what he did for sponsors, what sponsors did for him, and how they were trying to play off each other. Same for Elio Castro Nevis. Yes. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, it. I would, wouldn't say they, they rang off off the hook or anything like that. It was. Um, it's definitely broadened our ability to sell. Um, obviously, results matter. And if you can go into a pitch meeting and say, hey, we've had one race and we finished eighth, it's a little different than saying, hey, we've done, we've done two races so far and we finished eighth and then won our second one. It's, it gives cachet and ability to, to say, like, hey, you're buying a winning product. You're, hmm. you're, you're buying into a winning product. Uh, so it, it didn't necessarily make the incoming inquiries more abundant, but it, it helped us sort of outwardly trying to sell sure and i do want to ask obviously your name george steinbrenner you know your your grandfather owned the yankees for so long it's a name that a lot of people know how do you kind of utilize the name to help you business-wise and are there kind of drawbacks or expectations that that you feel kind of weigh you down it opens a lot of doors uh especially being 23 first year in a sport that isn't at the peak of its popularity it helps in the fact that I can get to people that probably an ordinary 23-year-old, especially one that's only business is IndyCar, <laughs> to talk to these certain kind of people. There's obviously an expectation. It's more on the competitive side that people generally expect me to win, which is not a bad thing because it's sort of what I was raised to expect of myself. But sure. yeah, that with that name, people kind of expect like, all right, here comes Steinbrenner Racing. Let's see what they got. You know, mm. it... it the, the fact that we won our second race helped that, but I feel like much like for the Yankees, <laughs> expectations can be very high. And and uh, but, the, uh, but it's also the business model. Though. The business model for the Yankees is predicated on winning. Oh yeah, that's and that's not the same for every major league baseball team. Makes things more difficult if you don't. Right, and it, and it's it's different in, in racing because you you know in baseball. Obviously, it's it's extremely difficult to win the World Series, um, but you have 162 games a year, and if you win 95, 100 of them, and maybe you make the championship series but lose, like we did in 2017, you know it stings. Uh, the expectation is to win it all, but you know you look back and you're like, all right, that was a good season. On the next year, in IndyCar, you have 17 events a year, and you have 20, sometimes anywhere from 22 to. 25 cars on every event except Indy which has 33 
and only one car is going to win that race. I have to ask this question, and this is about Pocono, where you guys recently were at that racetrack. Right. There is chatter that that could be the last race for a while at Pocono. Uh, and for people who don't know, it's a racetrack where <laughs> there have been some violent accidents there. Uh, and I'm just wondering, uh, are you guys coming back next year to Pocono? Actually, I don't, I don't know if I can say. Um, uh, I know there's there's talk about it. Um, I don't know what's public or what's not, uh, to be honest. So, you can tell uh, us. It's all right. We'll keep it secret. <laughs> I, well, I know you guys might, but <laughs> this microphone might not. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's public or what's not. Obviously, you know, Pocono, unfortunately, the last couple of years has suffered from a public relations problem. Um Obviously, the nature of the track can cause serious incidents, but it's it's not really a unique situation uh, with Pocono. Uh, I think a lot of the recent problems there have stemmed more from really unfortunate coincidence or circumstance, uh, more so than the track itself, though it is a very dangerous track. Give me your favorite Grandpa George story that says, oh, I'm a Steinbrenner and this is... Showing, not telling. Show, show me your best, uh, I'm a product of the George Steinbrenner story. So I was young when he passed. I, 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 and I got sort of the late 90s, early 2000s version of my grandfather that was much more subtle. Uh, <laughs> you didn't get the Billy Martin version. No, no, I, I was long after the Billy Martin version. And uh, from what I knew him, he was, I knew him as my grandfather. Most of the time I'd, he was around when I was around. I didn't know these fantastical stories. I didn't know the crazy worldwide win it all George. <laughs> worldwide yeah. phenomenon or nationwide phenomenon that was the late seventies Yankees. So I just knew the family man. Um I knew the the philanthropic man. I knew the personal behind closed doors George Steinbrenner. So for me it's kind of funny hearing this the crazy stories about, you know, in the, the late seventies Yankees and Billy Martin, Reggie Jackson and and the, the the 78 season, which was, you know, just a complete mess of article after article of he said, she said kind of stuff. Let's finish up. Any desire to get into baseball? You're in pro sports, but broaden the portfolio at some point? Yeah, it's always a possibility. Um, I have always loved Yankee baseball. It's, it's It was my first love, I call it. Um, Favorite player? All-time or current? I can't. Give I'd, me both. Uh, All-time uh, was probably Soriano. Because, um, you know, I was born in 96, so a lot of those mainstays were around my whole life. Right. So when I was four or five, when Soriano came around, that was kind of the I'm new... i how young you are. Alfonso Soriano <laughs> was his favorite player, okay? <laughs> that he, was, he was the new guy. He yeah. was the young guy that, that I sort of gravitated to because he was a new face, which was going to be it. And it's got to be Aaron Judge now. Uh, I won't say. <laughs> I won't say current Yankee. I do. I I have not met a single member of the team or seen a single member of the team play that I didn't enjoy. So, um, uh, in terms of favorites, I, I I couldn't really say. All right, George Steinbrenner. Go ahead, take us out. No, I was thought. No, you got the better voice. Uh, George Steinbrenner, the 23 year old co owner of Harding Steinbrenner Racing. Good luck for the rest of the season in IndyCar racing, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. As you guys know, the Pocono Raceway is right by my house.
and I enjoy going to see the Indy cars right there. But as we talked about earlier, there's been some very serious accidents there. And now there's a question if they're going to come back for next year. You may have seen your last IndyCar race yeah, in your back. may have. <laughs> and, and, George wouldn't tell us. And George was, uh, let's say, uh, we don't discuss business at the dinner table, had that going. So we don't know. Well, for me, it's the fact how young he is. His favorite Yankee. Think about this. We're talking about the New York Yankees, the litany of superstars, of iconic names, uh, of Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio. And he says his favorite player was Alfonso Soriano. (laughs) No offense to Alfonso Soriano, but he may be the only one in the world, if you ask who's your favorite Yankee of all time, and he says Soriano. I didn't know what I was expecting. I was hoping we would get the current Yankee out of him just for fun. But Alfonso Soriano, I... Very savvy, though. He, he, I love it. Yeah, he wouldn't tell us the curve. Yeah. We knew that might get him in trouble. <laughs> yeah, my, my takeaway, I mean, I, I appreciate the way that he, you know, he, he fell in love with racing at a, at a young age in a, in a baseball family and, and, and decided that was going to be his his passion. Um, and and his, his origin story with Colton Herta, his 19-year-old driver, you know, it seems like they're buddies. They play video games together. I mean, it, it seems like a nice story. And, I'm, you know, it's in IndyCar, a sport I don't know much about, uh, I now have a team that I'm interested in. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business and Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week, 19. That's not the one we discussed. Not the one we discussed. Because okay. when, when this popped up, I, I, I said I couldn't let this go. Okay. 19. 19. Nothing ringing any bells, Evan. Uh, the number of uh, leads the Jets are going to blow this year. Holy. You are on the right track. <laughs> number of interceptions. <laughs> if any test anywhere 19, I don't know. <laughs> it is pertaining to the NFL. This is the spread oh, for Sunday's I, game. I could have guessed Patriots? The Patriots against the Miami Dolphins. Lay the points. 19. Yeah. I have never seen a Where's spread. The game? Where's the game? Uh, Miami? I, no, I think it's... Uh, okay, I don't know. I want to say Gillette, isn't it? I don't know. I'll, I'll take a look. That's, that's I, I said, where's the game? I, but it, 19? 19? That's yeah. a lot of there, points There in was the a Jaguars game a couple years ago against Peyton Manning and the Broncos that was 20-something. But 19 is way too many points for, for modern-day NFL, oh in my, my opinion. I, I, we're not a tout service, guys. Don't listen to what we're saying. Exactly. Yeah. We have no idea. Yeah, it just, well, <laughs> it, I mean, there's a qu- quick question... You know, there's the rumors that Miami's tanking this season. Yeah. So uh, that's the it rumor. It so good in the opener. I know that. Yeah. But oh. Back man. to Stephen Ross. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time, plus online as an Apple podcast. And you can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thank you very much for joining us. And please tune in next week when we once again speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? 
And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.